I'm going to speak to you this morning on an issue that I think all of us could improve on, myself included, so this is for me, by the way, and I'll tell you one reason why this came about. I was reading back in a series of messages I preached way back when I first entered the ministry, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. And as I began to look at some of the things I preached, I began to pray and say, Lord, how in the world could people even stand to listen to me back then? I can't believe I preached that, and I can't believe they stayed and listened. But one of the things that I had preached on was family matters. And I almost started to do a new series because we have Mother's Day coming up and Father's Day. We have Graduation Sunday. So you can consider this a series that's not named a series on family matters. However, I want to broaden this out past effective communication between a husband and a wife. I want to broaden that out to say that I think this applies to everyone, whether you're married, whether you're not married, or so forth. I think these are some principles or some steps that can help us when we talk to other people so that they understand what we are saying and we become better listeners to understand what they are saying. How many times have you been in a conversation when someone walked away from you and said, well, you said this, and you say, well, I never said that. And they say, oh, yes, you did. I heard you say that. And you say, well, I don't know what you heard, but I assure you I did not say that. Well, I'm going to go back and listen because I know you said that. And we are puzzled that they actually hear what we never intended to say. And by the way, when you speak a lot, that happens a lot. As a matter of fact, James talks about the man who talks much is judged much. We are oftentimes weighed by every word that we say. And sometimes you can say words, and later on, if you change your mind on something... Students love to do this in class all the time. For example, you start teaching years before, and you haven't thoroughly studied an issue completely out. And then you have a chance to study it out, and your, your knowledge grows in that area. And there are things that change your mind about certain facts, and you begin to present a different idea, and they say, well, you changed you, you said at one time this, but now you're saying this. And then you have to go through the arduous process of saying, yes, but with information comes change. And so I've had to change. Well, communication is a very difficult issue. But I think it's an issue that all of us need to get right if we want to be understood. In 1963, a man named Adelaide Stevenson spoke to students at Princeton University. And this is what he said to them. I understand that I am here to speak to you and you are here to listen to me. Let's hope that we both finish at the same time. So I hope the same thing this morning. What is one of the things that gets our attention in communication? Well, there's a story about a man who wanted to train an old mule that he had. So the first thing he did was he went outside and he picked up a big stick and he walked over and he walloped the mule right between the ears. The neighbor was absolutely dismayed and had no clue what was going on because he watched the mule stagger around, and he came over and said, 
Why did you do this? Why did you hit the mule right between the ears? And the man said, in order to teach a mule, you must first get his attention. Another man said, that may, be, may, not, may or may not be true of mules, but there's a good deal of truth here, and that's this. When you're dealing with people, any communication that is effective has to be aroused by interest. Now, oftentimes when people come in for marriage counseling, and you can ask any professional counselor this, they will tell you that the number one problem in relationships is a failure or some kind of a breakdown in communication. So this is an important issue because it relates not just to marriage, but it also relates to friendships, neighbors, co-workers, wherever we go in life. Proverbs And the writer to Proverbs writes this, Death and life are in in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. I could stand here and give you personal stories of people who have come into my office, not here, in a time past, but even here. And they have told me one-line phrases that someone has said to them and it has totally altered their life, both negative and positive. The negative lines are, you are worthless, you are a mistake, you were an accident. Oh, shattering. Especially when somebody with authority speaks that over them. There are other people who have come in and said that people have said encouraging things to them. You are important to me. I love you. You are the center of my life. And those words have totally changed them. So the writer knew what he was saying when he said the power of life and death. It can go one of two ways. Or in the tongue. If I was adding to this today, which I couldn't, I would also say that social media and comments on social media have the power of death and life. And some good advice that I could give to you is stay off of it as much as you can. Because you see the glamorous side of people, but you don't see the actual side of people. And it causes frustration, discouragement. Oftentimes it causes anxiety because Whether we know it or not, we put ourselves in the reader's place and we begin to compare our life and our situation to them and that leads to anxiety, depression, and frustration in many cases. The studies are amazing at when people read comments on social media, what it does to you internally. And the addiction of reading other people's stories and their lives is incredible. And if we don't think that social media is addictive, then stop it for a week and tell me how many times you crave it. It is intensely addictive because we want to be the no. But caution is needed when we post or when we read comments online. So that's my point. There's power in those words. Now, what is communication? I found three definitions, and I'll share them with you. The first is it's an act of transmitting a message. That could be verbally. It could be, you know, 
or whatever. I, I saw a ball game this week, and one of the parents didn't like a call, and they stood up, never said a word, just went. You know, what does that tell the umpire? That you're trying to cool him down or, you know. No, it's a, it's a verbal means of communication. That, Forget you, you don't know what you're doing. A second way is it's a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbols, you know, signs, or behavior. I like the third one that came from a counselor, and this is what he wrote. He said, it's the process by which the thoughts of one mind are precisely delivered through speech to another's mind without significant loss, addition, or alteration. In other words, we can say something, and what we say is received by the person almost exactly. So we're going to go off that third definition of communication, and we're going to ask this question and hopefully answer it. How can we, all of us, that is, improve our communication skills with other people. Specifically, here I'm talking about believers. This study is in Ephesians chapter 4, so if you want to turn there, you can. And I'm going to show you the basis of this message because Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the body of believers being in unity. Ephesians chapter 4 is actually the practical side of this book Paul breaks it down, and he often does in his writings, in doctrine and then practice. He lays down the reason you are to behave a certain way. For example, in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is doctrine. Who you are in Christ. What Christ has done for you through grace. And then your position in Christ's work in the current day. Now, in light of that, chapter 4, I urge you, this is how you're to live. Because of who you are in Jesus and who you are in the church, this is how you're to live, and you are members of one another, so this is how you're to treat each other. So he begins talking here in this section about issues that relate to communication. And I want to give you five steps today that will help you in effective communication, right out of God's Word. I'm not making one of these up. They're right here, and they come right from the Apostle Paul. And the first is, we must intentionally change our communication skills. In other words, we have to make a decision that we are not going to communicate like we used to in our unsaved life. Manipulation, deceit, lies, doing things out of self-motivation. You know, we, by the way, can I give you a news flash? We all do those things. We all do them. And Paul says if we want to be effective communicators, the first thing we have to realize is we have to stop that. Now notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. That we are to put off our old self. Now what does that mean? That is our unsaved way of living. Do you remember your life before you were a believer? Now, thank God some of you don't. You, you got saved early in life. You should praise God for that because you don't have a lot of baggage. But for those who don't, who don't have that blessing of being saved early in life, we know what it's like to have a very foul tongue. We know what it's like to cut people down. We know what it's like to be cruel and mean. And Paul says this, 
that one of the, the ways, one of the steps, the very first step that we have to have in effective communication is put that off. Do not talk and communicate like you used to do. Because it belongs to your former manner of life. That would be our unsaved ways. And he goes on to say, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, we, we could unpack that. I could give a whole sermon on our deceitful desires. Basically, what he means is when we do that, we are communicating in such a manner as to get our way. Because we are central. We are the most important. We're not thinking about others. We're only thinking about our way. And this is how we turn the conversation. To make it spin out good for me. Paul says you've got to put that off. And instead, here comes the flip. Instead of putting on the old self, we are to put on the new self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This means... When we trusted Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and He lives inside of us. He prompts us. He actually urges us whether we should say things or whether we shouldn't. He urges us whether we should act in a certain way or whether we shouldn't. How many of y'all have ever said something and the second that it came out of your mouth, you knew you should never have said it? You know, someone told me one time, I have thought about this for a long time. They made this statement. They said, do you know that words are eternal? I said, what's that? They said, your words are eternal. Okay, can you break that down for me? Sure I can. When you say something to someone, it never leaves. They remember it. Forever. And to take that further, Jesus goes to talk about unsaved people and says, Every idle word that you speak, you will give an account for on the day of judgment. Now, by the way, that's not for believers, but that it is for unbelievers. Every idle word. Well, so in order not to say things that we shouldn't, like we did in our unsaved life. Paul says we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is the Holy Spirit prompting us and enabling us to know what to say and what not to say. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that's the first step that we have to do if we're going to have effective communication. James writes something similar when he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? He gives this explanation why we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's the reason. Because, it could be read... The anger of man, can I interpretively read here, never accomplishes the righteousness of God. Now, by the way, as a parent, ooh, does this one hurt? You know, sometimes we think, boy, if I get in my rage fit and I scream at my kid, I tell him, 
That'll accomplish God's righteousness and they'll never do that again. You know, you learn things over the years and some of y'all are smiling. You've already been there and got grandkids. But, you know, when you're a parent, sometimes you learn that that doesn't work. Now, there are times we have to raise our voice and there are times we have to be firm because, you know, we do run the house. The kids don't. Remember that. And rules and order do come from the parents, not the children. They don't make those decisions. However, when we have our anger fit, God's righteousness is never produced. So, very, very interesting point. Step number one. Now, what's step number two? You say, good, I'm glad you're hurrying. Okay, step number two. Not only do we have to be intentional about changing, but we also have to be truthful. Now, listen to what Paul writes in verse 25. He says, therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We have to be truthful. Now, how do we, how, how do we be truthful in our conversation? You ever thought about that? How do you tell the truth in conversation? There are many different ways to lie, by the way. We can, we can lie by withholding information. We can lie by twisting things in a certain direction, making someone think a certain way, and then not revealing the truth. Uh, We can also be deceitful in the way that we communicate by the tone or other issues, other ways that we hold communication. And by the way, communication and truth, information, is power. Did you know that? When you have certain information that you're not willing to share, you hold that back, what we do oftentimes is we, we are thrusting our power over the other person because we're welding by withholding what we know. Now, I'm not saying tell everything, but I'm saying if you're in an open conversation, let me put this in the context of marriage, and you're not telling the truth, you're not revealing what you know, what is the first thing that tells your spouse? They don't trust me. They do not trust me enough to tell me the truth. And when they don't do that, you know, I am not esteemed in their eyes. And it causes a great wedge to come in between people. So telling the truth is so important. What are some questions? I'm going to put this in the term of marriage. What are some questions that could help us be truthful? Here are just a few. Number one, if you could change three things about me to make me more like Jesus, what would that be? What would that be? Number two, do I have any annoying mannerisms or irritating idiosyncrasies that you would like to see me change? Do I do anything that irritates you? Number three, what do you want from me that I am not giving you at the moment? Number four, on a scale of one to ten, how do you rate our marriage? Or if you're in a friendship, you could say, how do you rate our friendship? Number five, what would it take to make our marriage a ten? And number six, what personal goals do you have for your life, and how may I help you achieve them? Now those are six questions that help us start a very truthful and real conversation with someone. 
And I would say that if you didn't write them down, you probably should go back and listen to the recording because they actually work. Now, number three, step number three. Speak up instead of blowing up or clamming up. We call this pouting. Y'all ever heard of pouting? My father used to call it stubbing up. Now, if you have a child, and when you tell them to do something, or they don't get their way, and the first thing they do is run off and go, and you say, you know, honey, come here. No. You can see that in a child, right? I mean, they just stub up. What is that telling you? What is the root issue in that child's heart? Why are they stubbing up? Come on, parents. Interact with me. Rebellion. Okay, I heard rebellion. That, that could be. They're not getting their way. So what is at the root of not getting your way? Somebody said it. Who? Selfishness. Also known in theology as I-itis. You know, I-itis. We want our own way. And when we don't get our own way, we stub up. Now, as we become adults... We learn not to, not to pout like that, don't we? And instead what we do is we say, they'll never see my outward appearance, but I'll do it inside. I just won't talk. I'll just sit here and I don't care. I won't say a word. How did it go today, honey? Fine. Everything all right? Yep. Couldn't be better. Now look how many we're violating. We're violating step one. We're violating step number two. And we're violating step number three. Because instead of speaking up and sharing what our problem is, we are internalizing it and we are pouting over it. Now, this doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be time that we process things, okay? There may be times that, you know, in our life when something comes up and our spouse or our friend wants to talk to us and we say, can we, can we table that right now? Because I am still processing what I know, but I promise we will talk about that. If we can do that, you know, if you can do that in a, as a discipline in life, you, you save this concept of blowing up. Because oftentimes when you just start thinking through it when you're talking, you say things that, we, that you shouldn't. We're all guilty. So let me think through this issue and then we'll come back and talk. So speak up instead of blowing up or clamming up. Listen to what Paul says in verse 26. Be angry, okay, if the occasion arouses. If need be, be angry, but do not sin. Now what does he mean by that? There are things that happen that, there, that anger is righteous in. However, do not sin even though you're angry. Why? Back to James. Because it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man never produces the righteousness of God. So calm the anger. And more importantly, give no opportunity to the devil. Now, let me share something about spiritual warfare here to help you. And remember the context of this chapter We're in the context of speech. Someone perhaps says something to you that's mean and hurtful, 
and anger stirs up in our life and we have unresolved anger, when we allow that to go on and on, what does the text say that that opens us up to? You all look at the text. What does that open us up to? Spiritual warfare. Anger is the number one way that the enemy creeps into our life and has his way. The word here, give no opportunity, is actually the word toehold, step. See why I use the word steps? Instead of giving him a step by harboring anger and bitterness, learn the step that refutes him. Be angry, but don't sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with the issue. Now, can I share something with you? After, after years of being a believer, when Paul says, do not let the sun go down in your anger, does that mean that you should never go to bed with unresolved conflict? Please say no. no. Well, okay, thank you. <laughs> to, two o'clock in the morning, when, when he is starving to death and wore out and tired, is not the time to settle the issue. It'll make it worse. Can I help you? What Paul is not literally saying here, stay up for five days in a row if you have to. What he's saying is, don't let it linger. In other words, there are appropriate times to deal with things, and when there's anger, when there's anger between you and a relationship, deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it and it festers, the enemy will have his way. He will have his way. And don't give him that opportunity. The rest of the verse, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That is a way people practically lie. You know, when you steal, you lie, right? doesn't have to be with our mouth. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Now, what a sermon. could preach this whole sermon. But what is the point? The point is we have to know when that we have to speak up instead of just clamming up and then blowing up because that never helps in communication. So Paul here writes all kinds of wisdom for believers in how we relate to other people. If, if it doesn't help build up, we're probably better off not to even say it. If it doesn't help encourage, we're probably better off just to keep it to ourselves. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, when I teach a theology class, I go to this one first thing when I talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to talk about how personal He is in our life. Do you know what grieves? That word grieve means to literally hurt, to crush. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In this text, what is it that grieves Him? Corrupt speech from our mouth. 
I mean, it just makes him, oh. You know, as a parent, when you hear your children say certain things, and it hurts, it grieves you. You ever heard somebody say, well, that just grieved me. That's, that's what we do to God when we say things that we shouldn't. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means that he's in your, He is in your spirit and body until the day you get your new body. That's what redemption means. We actually get our new body. So in light of that, not grieving Him, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all meanness, just wanting to be right down mean. Paul says, put all that away. Don't do that as a believer because it grieves the Spirit and it breaks our relationships. Don't do that. Colossians says basically the same thing. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So communication and the tongue and how we communicate, so important in our relationship. So build others up by what and how you speak. That was my last, that was number four, okay? That was what my faith life got juggled there. So build them up. And the final step is this. When you are offended, when someone offends you in their speech, what should we do? Well, we should always be willing to forgive. Now, by the way, people can and will say things about us. We should, we should expect that. Do you understand? Let me go to my next slide. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. This is some wisdom right here. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. That means negatively about you. Lest you hear your servant cursing you. So what's he saying here? When, when you hear somebody say something about you, well, I, hate, I don't like him, I hate when he did that, I don't like, or she shouldn't have done that, or I can't believe she... Don't take it to heart. And here's why. Because your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Don't be so sensitive because if we think that somebody said something to us and it's going to be the end of the world, just hold on for a minute and ponder and ask yourself the question, have you ever said anything bad about somebody else? And what will the answer automatically be? Ooh. You know, James was right when he said, any man that can bridle the tongue is a perfect man. Goes for a woman too, by the way. Any person that can control their tongue is a complete, mature person. Pretty staggering, isn't it? So, what are we to do? We are to be forgiving. Notice what Paul says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. By the way, what does that mean to be tender-hearted? It means to have a heart for other people. I had a man come to my house yesterday. He's unsaved as he can be. I've been trying to build a relationship with him for a long time. Hard, folks, 
Spiritually speaking, he is as hard as one of those bricks over there, or maybe even harder. But I believe every time he contacts me and wants to come, I see that as an open door by God to allow me an opportunity to talk to a brick one more time. He, he is receptive, but he is very, very hard. But as he was talking to me yesterday, I was just listening to him because, you know, I was going to preach this. And I was trying to practice, listen twice as much as you speak. And he began to share. And I began to listen to his life. Not trying to form what I was going to say back to him. Not trying to shoot him with a gospel gun and tell him that. I was just listening to him. That poor man is so lonely, broken, and hedonist. It's all about the pleasure of this life. That's, that was all he could talk about the right now. And what brought him pleasure for this moment. No concept of eternity whatsoever. I want to tell you, I sat there and pictured him standing before the Jesus that he re- rejected. And my heart broke for him. Broke. When I tried to share spiritual truth with him, he had hardened himself so much that it literally would just bounce off of him. And I began to pray for that man. Oh, God, open his heart. I am powerless to open his heart. You have to do this. And I know that you love him. But, Lord, give me a heart for him. That's basically what it means to be tender-hearted. Now listen to what Paul's telling us to do. When someone offends us by their speech, he is telling us to stop just listening to their words and start looking at their heart. What would cause someone to be so mean, so cruel, to say something so hurtful and harsh to you? Can I share something with you? It's not you. The problem does not rest with you. The reason they're saying what they're saying is not you. The reason they're saying what they're saying is because of a problem inside of them. You just happen to be the object. So Paul says, understand that. Be forgiving, be tender-hearted, and now forgive one another on this basis. Are you ready? Just as God in Christ forgave you. Now, how did God forgive us? He forgave us completely, finally, thoroughly, all the way through. He has offered us forgiveness. You know, people talk about uh, forgive but don't forget. Well, it's impossible. You cannot, you cannot forget. God doesn't forget. I've heard people preach, you know, God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he never remembers that God just blanks out of his memory. What? That's terrible theology. Of course God remembers every sin that you do. And he will remember every sin you do. But God in his infinite wisdom and by his grace chooses never to bring them up. And so what's the lesson when we're offended in speech and we reconcile our relationship with someone? And by the way, that reconciliation is a whole different, it's a whole different sermon. 
Because it's, sometimes it's not possible to have reconciliation. That takes two people. But Paul says what we have to do when we're offended in speech is to willingly and lovingly choose to forgive the person that hurt us with their words. And when we do that, we will have stronger marriages, we will have stronger friendships, and we will have stronger relationships with everybody that we're with. These are five very important steps that help us in our relationship and our Christian walk. And, you know, I pray that Almighty God will help us do this in our life. It'll help us grow. It'll give us strong marriages. It'll help us in our community. And I believe God will use this to change the lives of people. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege we have to even have your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us about communication and how we are to operate. And we know, Father, since you made us and you wrote us this instruction manual on how we're to relate with one another, we know it works. What we lack is the power to enact it. And this is where you give us your spirit, those of us who believe on Jesus for eternal life. You give us your spirit to empower us, to illumine us, to give us the strength and the grace that we need to do this to apply this, to actually allow it to be operative in our life. And so I pray this morning for each person under my voice, whether they're online, whether they're here, that you will help us in our speech to honor you and to bring glory to your name in the way that we communicate. And if your spirit points out issues in our life, Help us to be willing to change. We pray for strong marriages and strong friendships, and we even pray, Father, for a strong church, that we might be united as we strive together to reach Christiansburg with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for this, and we ask your blessings on the rest of our day and our week, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.